Welcome to the Discover Strength Podcast, where we ditch the fads and bring you the latest research on exercise to help you look and feel your best in a fraction of the time. I'm your host, Logan Emmett Herlihy, an exercise physiologist with Discover Strength. Let's get into this week's episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to season three of the Discover Strength podcast. I'm so excited to be joined today by Dr. James Fisher out of Solent University and our CEO, Luke Carlson. We've got a meeting of the minds today to discuss some things that we think are still pervasive in the industry, some myths and misconceptions, sort of a throwback to our first ever episode with Dr. James Fisher, diving a little bit deeper with two of the most well-respected uh, people in the industry. So James, Luke, please say hello, and we'll uh, we'll jump right into this, this first part of our mini-series. Logan, thanks for having us. Um, and James, thank you for joining us. Good to see you. And always love uh, talking strength training with you. Likewise, Logan, thank you so much for having us. And, and Luke, yeah, it's always a pleasure to uh, to be a part of any conversation. So, thank you. So I've been privileged enough in my time at Discover Strength to have uh, a few moments where I've gotten to sit down with these two gentlemen and really sort of uh, be there as they have these in-depth discussions on all things resistance training. And I was hoping to share that with our audience. So that's sort of our thought in mind here with this mini series is let's have these two who are not only great colleagues, uh, but great friends sort of discuss some of the things that they're passionate about. And we'll start off today with one of the myths that I think is, is still really rampant uh, in the industry, this idea of high reps versus low reps. So James, Luke, you can kind of kick us off and jump in as to where this sort of misconception and myth came from and what we're really talking about here to our audience today. I'll set the stage for the myth and then James, feel free to add whatever you want. But for decades, we've assumed that if you do less weight, do more repetitions, you're preferentially going to improve your muscle endurance and become more toned. So lighter weight with more reps is better for a marathon runner, an endurance athlete of any kind, someone looking to get lean, to lose body fat, to tone up. Using a heavy weight, doing less repetitions was better for muscle strength, muscle size, uh, and it lended itself to sports where, hey, strength and muscle size was a priority. So your football player, your American football player was lifting a heavy weight and doing fewer repetitions. Now, this, I think, the most prevalent myth in, in fitness and even people that are really into strength training. I, I listen to way too many podcasts and way too many uh, marathon running podcasts. And even the people that are into strength training for marathon running still subscribe to this myth. This is like the myth that won't die. And James, you can comment on this. I think interestingly, even the academics that for the longest time held a steadfast position that you got to use heavy weights for strength and size and use a lighter weight for endurance and tone, the academics involved in this research, they've changed their mind but that hasn't trickled down to how the average exerciser and not even the average exerciser, someone who's really passionate about strength training, hasn't adopted this yet, hasn't accepted this yet, maybe in, in some cases just hasn't heard this yet. I think you raised some really good points, Luke. And I think that the academic community has been a bit slow to catch up on this, but has certainly changed their mindset on this. 
Um, for, for me, it was always a bit of a, a no-brainer purely because I looked at the, sort of what the stimulus was and what we were trying to achieve mechanistically, which was simply motor unit recruitment. Um, and it stands to reason that low reps, if taken to failure, should still produce the same adaptations because of the same sort of stimulus, uh, e.g. complete, you know, motor unit recruitment. Um it's interesting because uh, you know we we tend to have this ideal in our head of of low reps for toning and higher reps for for building muscle and maybe that stems from you know people going for a run and therefore being continued repetition of strides and therefore runners are sort of leaner and not necessarily muscular um and so forth so i, I you know whether where the myth kind of originates i i have little idea um it, it's bizarre that it's stuck around for so long and still exists um but like you said the academic literature now is, is pretty clear that it doesn't matter whether you're using heavy weights or or lighter weights or you know a few reps or, or a higher number of reps the adaptations are, are pretty similar and james yeah. i think we should even comment you you've been great in in educating and having conversations around some of the benefits of maybe actually uh, leaning toward using a heavier weight, the idea that we recover slower from having a higher repetition range with lower weights it actually takes us longer to recover from that workout than lifting heavy weights. And who would have assumed that? And the idea yeah. that, hey, if we're an aging population, specifically an aging female population, we need load on the bone to combat osteoporosis. And so the very population that we always said should lift a really light weight. I remember my grandmother growing up lifting soup cans because that's what grandmothers did. And in fact, she is one of the only populations that requires a higher relative load, which means a lower rep range. So talk a little bit about that, James. Yeah, I totally agree. From for, for a long time, I was I was seemingly dubbed as the light load guy. Everybody seemed to think that I loved light load training. And I, I don't, I, I detest it because it's really painful. Um, and one of the things that this kind of led me down the path of was to to investigate this and sort of say okay is there a difference between effort and discomfort is that a reason first of all why we've seen a disparity in adaptations between heavy and light loads so maybe people training with a light load haven't reached the same muscular failure maybe they've stopped uh shy of failure for some other reason and sure enough, what we found was that lighter lows incur a far greater degree of muscular discomfort. I mean, imagine doing a set of three reps to failure with a leg press or a set of 50 reps to failure with a leg press, but still reaching the same effort. You know, we know the time and the tension is far different between the two. And we know that the discomfort level is different between the two. And like you said, we also know that the lighter load potentially doesn't stimulate the same bone mineral density adaptations. So certainly I, I would challenge that, you know, I'm the light load guy. I, I'm not a, an advocate of light load training at all. In fact, if anything, I'd probably swing the other way and say that I would advocate heavier loads. And certainly, like you said, for certain groups of the population, it's it's almost imperative and essential that we use uh, at least moderately heavy loads. 
James, is it possible to define some of these concepts? I'd love to talk a little bit about our paper that we did in conjunction with your university, Solent University uh, in Southampton, um, the high rep, low rep, uh, heavyweight, lightweight study that we did, and maybe just sort of defining for our listeners, what is a heavy load? What is a light load that you might do 20, 30, 40 reps on uh, as a percentage potentially of your one rep max? or some other definition so people can have a, a clearer understanding of exactly uh, what we're talking about here. Yeah, absolutely. Well, first of all, when we, when we talk about relative load, we talk about it as a percentage of a one repetition maximum, and we generally apply re- repetition ranges to those loads, but really we shouldn't even do that because for any given person, the number of repetitions they'll perform with a given load, with a given relative load varies quite drastically between exercises so for 80 percent of your one rm on a bicep curl you might hit three or four reps but for 80 percent of your one rm on a leg press you might hit 25 reps or vice versa and then we also know that that differs quite drastically across the population between males and females between trained and untrained so to say that we can estimate a load and say that that will give us an idea of how many repetitions they'll perform is really kind of clutching at straws a little bit. We're, we're probably far better to, um, to look at, at what sort of time under load we can create with a, with a given load. Um, and of course, the caveat to what I was saying a second ago about heavy and lighter loads is you can go to the extremes. So anything above probably 90, 95% of 1RM really does focus so much on maximal strength that it might not have the same hypertrophic adaptations because it might not stimulate sufficient metabolic stress and muscle damage. And in contrast, going to failure with you know 20% of 1RM, something incredibly light, seems not to incur the same uh, adaptations again. So there has to be kind of some moderate range here, somewhere between 40 and maybe 90%. Now, in the study that, that we did together as a collaboration between Discover Strength and Solomon University, we looked at two quite moderate ranges. We looked at 80% of 1RM and 60% of 1RM. And they're probably quite practical for what most people would expect to lift. I think most people would do 80% of 1RM thinking it's a relatively heavy load and and 60% thinking it's a much lighter load. Um, And it was a huge study, in my opinion, one of the the best strength training studies in the literature right now with 130 participants. Potentially some of the listeners to this podcast will have been participants in this study. And it was a um, a randomized crossover trial. So all participants did both conditions. They did uh, four weeks of heavy load or light load, then an eight-week washout period, and then they reversed to do either the lighter load or the heavier load. Um, so it was a, a really nicely designed study for a good duration with a fantastic sample size. So, you know, huge credit to Discover Strength for, uh, for the delivering on that. So... And then Luke, why don't you talk to us a little bit about maybe some of our expectations going into that paper and what the actual findings were now that that paper's published, uh, what journal maybe it was published in, and some of the big takeaways, the key takeaways for listeners from that paper. Yeah, so the the paper was published in uh, Research Quarterly for Exercise and Sport. And when I talk about the paper, I like to say it's the, the largest 
uh, study of its kind that examined really what we were examining. And I'm, I know I'm repeating what James said, but we had just a, a great sample size and it's a crossover uh, design. Now, our assumption was that the two groups were going to produce the exact same results. The rest of the entire world's assumption would be, no, the group that uses a lighter weight and does more repetitions is uh, somehow going to lose more body fat. And the group that does a heavy weight might add more muscle and that might be apparent in a bod pod. Of course, we didn't think that was going to happen, but the rest of the world did. And this study has been cited, James, I'm not going to remember all the, the sources, but a number of other kind of strength training, um, not academics, but strength training proponents on social media and other websites uh, kind of have covered or shared this study because I think it was surprising to a lot of people, but definitely not surprising to anybody at Discover Strength or Dr. Steele or Dr. Fisher. Yeah, and I go go ahead, James, please. Well, I was just going to say, I think that, that to be honest, the like you said, the size of the study is fantastic. But really, the key thing with this as well is this is real people in the real world. So this isn't just the test of efficacy of whether something works or not. This is the test of effectiveness of whether it works in the real world. A lot of our research is done in, in labs where we can control every variable down to the nth degree. But because of that, we can potentially only test with one or two exercises or we have a, a limited sample size. And because this was really a, a study of effectiveness, uh, it afforded the, the larger sample doing full body workouts, you know, single sets of nine exercises twice per week with, with the expectation to control their own nutritional changes and nutritional habits throughout the entire 16 week intervention um, or 16 week period with the four, the two four week interventions and the eight week washout. So it was really a good assessment of what happens in the real world, not what happens in a vacuum. Yeah, and I think that was one of my favorite things about the paper too. Is obviously at Discover Strength, we read a lot of research, and you know, it's it's very hard to control a number of. I apologize. Uh, control a number of confounding variables within a particular study design, but using real people, like you said, like we do at Discover Strength, when we have the opportunity to do these research projects, just. It just adds to the efficacy and the real world application to these studies, right? Because they're not 20 year old male exercise science students. You know, these are, are 40 year olds with families or they're 70 year old grandparents. They're real people. Um, and to me, that just makes the application so much more, uh, I hate to say applicable, but that's what it is, right? For, for real world practitioners to see that these are real people getting real results, regardless of where they are on the repetition continuum. So Luke, what do you think our listeners can sort of take away from this, especially if they're not training at a place like Discover Strength? Um, maybe they're doing workouts on their own. Maybe this is the first time that they've heard something challenge this idea of the repetition continuum with a you know heavier weight for strength and the lower weight for endurance. What would you say to that person, how to start applying some of this? And then James, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that as well after. Yeah, the first thing I want to do is clarify what James said before, just maybe add to it. He said, this probably doesn't apply if it's an extremely light load, like 20% of your predicted one rep max or 95% of your predicted one rep max. But in reality, nobody uses weight that light or that heavy. So for all practical terms, what this tells us is 
hey, if you're in a health club, if you're in a gym, if you're in a hotel fitness center and you pick up a weight, you sit down on an exercise machine and you select a weight and you find out, wow, this is too light. I'm able to do 14, 15, 16, 17, 18 reps. Well, just be assured uh, that there's no such thing as too light. You're still going to derive both the endurance benefit, the muscular endurance benefit, but also the strength and the hypertrophy benefit. Likewise, if you select a weight where we used to say, whoops, this is too heavy. I only got five of them. Well, there's no such thing as too heavy. You just improved your muscle strength, your muscle endurance, your muscle hypertrophy to the same degree as if you would, and, and your body composition to the same degree as if you were using a much lighter load. So it gives us so much freedom and so much autonomy when we exercise. We just don't have to be as exacting as we maybe thought. And I, I think fitness professionals, me included, we were kind of rooting for it being more exacting than it is. I think it turns out that a very scientific approach to strength training actually is an approach that gives us a lot of leeway. And it's a pretty simple approach to understand. Of course, not simple to do. It's uncomfortable to actually do, uh, whether you're doing 15 reps and you're approaching muscle failure or five reps and approaching muscle failure, pretty uncomfortable, very demanding, but it's simpler to understand and execute on than what we thought. And why is that important? Well, there's two real barriers to strength training participation uh, rates. One is perceived lack of time. And two is perceived complexity. I, I'm not going to strength train because it's so complicated. Instead, I'll just go on a walk, right? Everyone can go on a walk for 30 minutes or 45 minutes. And uh, it turns out that strength training is just actually not complicated to perform. I think that just absolutely nails it, Luke. I, I don't really have anything more to add to that. I think, you know, the more and more research is proving uh, simple methods uh, work and, and you know, all, all paths lead to Rome kind of thing. Um, I think a key part of all this might be that with the lighter load to really reach muscular failure, you're probably needing supervision to do so. Um, certainly, I, I know from experience with myself and with, with other people that we've worked with through the research that as the load gets lighter, the desire to stop can be quite overwhelming and the, the motivation to to keep training hard and to reach true momentary failure is uh, uh is important or is benefited by supervision so yeah so many important points there guys and uh just something else i wanted to point out that i think maybe luke touched on but is is something that cannot be overemphasized enough is just this idea of momentary effort too right like with your example luke i was actually talking to someone about this the other day you know, what do you do if you show up at a random health club, right? I travel sometimes. I like to go to a, a gym that's just in the area. Well, how do I pick those weights? Well, I just select one. And if it's too light, it's like you said, I, I get a, a few extra reps that I normally would. If it's too heavy, maybe I do a drop set. But the important thing is working as hard as you can on that particular set, uh, no matter what, obviously, um, you know, a lot of things can apply from a day-to-day -day basis of what kind of intensity you can give, but making sure we're applying that momentary effort, that high level of intensity, and obviously having supervision there, whether it's just your exercise buddy, or if it's an exercise physiologist, like you'd get at Discover Strength, having somebody there to hold you accountable and push you a little further, I think is going to help you get the most out of every set as well. Logan, two, two real world examples to support what you said. So for our listeners who don't know this, which I don't know why they would know this, Logan has a really impressive 
home gym in his garage. Like he's got commercial quality exercise equipment. It is incredible. So I'm going to uh, go over to Logan's uh, garage to work out with him. And we're going to say, hey, on the Nautilus one leg press, how much weight should you use? And we're not going to think about it for more than about three seconds, because if it's too light, who cares? We'll do more reps. If it's too heavy, who cares? I'll fail earlier. And I won't have a clue on any of your equipment because I haven't used your equipment. Um, uh, and I'm excited to use it. The, the, the manufacturers are great manufacturers. I just haven't used that exact model. We're not going to stress out about, did we pick the exact correct weight? Now, James, you can comment on this, and I hope I'm not embarrassing you by saying this, but James for a while would, uh, would do a little experiment where he'd say, I'm going to go into a health club or fitness center. And my approach today is going to be on the exercises that I perform, I'm going to use whatever weight was previously on the machine. And so, hey, if it's really light, I'm going to end up doing 42 repetitions. And if it's really heavy, I might end up doing three repetitions. But whatever's on the machine, that's what I'm going to currently use. And that, as strange as it sounds, is an efficacious approach. James, I hope I didn't out you for your, uh, your strange approach to selecting the amount of resistance you're using. Not at all. It was some time ago that I did that, but it was great fun. And maybe I should revisit the idea. And I, and I think one of the things that I did is I played with protocols as well. So we can explore the ideas of how we use a heavyweight or a lightweight with our repetition duration or our unilateral or bilateral concentric or eccentric muscle actions. Um, and the reality is that the weight lifted is probably just another factor that's just truly secondary to the outright effort of the of the trainee. Yeah. So again, with with most things, guys. Well, first off, thank you for your time for coming on today. But you know, working hard obviously has the the number one place in in resistance exercise and making sure you're working with that high level of of effort. But I think this just once again opens up the door to to freedom freedom for exploration, freedom for variety, freedom from feeling like you have to, like you said, Luke, have some sort of ultra periodized, um, super explicit approach where every microsecond of your workout programming is pre-programmed and, you know, put together by some PhD coach that, you know, charges $500 an hour to write this special program for you you could just do the James Fisher approach, right? And go to the YMCA and use whatever weights available. And as long as you're working with a high level of, of effort and intensity, you're probably going to see good results over the long term. Anything else to leave our listeners with guys before I let you go? Logan, I would emphasize what you said before that uh, we keep talking about the intensity of effort and you have to get to muscle failure, but that's like that, that will never go away. And it's always um, a challenge. Like, I, I just want to encourage our listeners. I mean, I know I'm going to do my workout at four o'clock today with one of our new exercise physiologists at our St. Louis Park location. And sometimes I think, well, I'll have a long day or I have a stressful day or I didn't sleep much last night or I have a lot in my mind. I have to start every workout thinking I just have to maximize the last few reps of every set because every one of our listeners will know this. It's so easy to just stop a little bit short of failure or wait for your trainer or your exercise physiologist to help you a little bit too much with the last few repetitions. So I try to just say, can I just take it one rep at a time at the end of the set and absolutely leave nothing else on the table? And that's a, a moment by moment focus. And I think it requires focus. I mean, I think you really have to stay in the moment and, and focus at the end of the set. So that's, that's my, um, I, I think, final contribution to this conversation of truly getting to the point of muscle failure, whether it's 22 reps or six reps.
James, anything to add for our listeners before we let you guys go? No, I, I think that everything that should be said has been said, and I totally agree with what Luke's saying. Maybe we should think that every completed rep is a warm-up set up to the point of, of our final rep that does all the or does all the good when we when we truly reach momentary failure and and really it's just about giving everything that we've got in in every exercise that we do and then going out and recovering and resting and doing it all over again yeah thank you guys so much for joining us this reminds me of a, a muhammad ali quote that I'll, I'll probably butcher here but it's something to the effect of somebody asked him how many push-ups he could do and he said 10 or something to that effect and it's like only 10 it's like yeah i only start counting when it feels like i can't do anymore so focusing on those last few reps giving 100 percent effort and really the weight is uh is you know it doesn't matter if it's heavy if it's light find what you enjoy doing and again thank you guys so much for taking the time today and joining me here and thanks everyone for listening we look forward to our next part in this little mini series thanks guys thanks logan thanks james thank you